They look after their own too, except when their own starts to waver, when a cult member starts to become iffy. He or she doesn't know quite if they want to stay within the cult or not, sort of thing, they're wavering. Then there's no compunction about killing that person off, because they're now suspect. Mm -hmm. They have too much info, you see? Yeah. yeah. But also you have to remember that cults are different. We were in one of the worst kinds of cults. But there are white witch cults, which are just devil worship, just for herbal remedies. Then there are cults just for child pornography, cults for drugs, cults for different purposes. It just so happened we belonged to the, one of the upper-class cults. That, you that dealt with just about every area you can think of. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, we knew it all. But other not necessarily each cult does this. Each cult is different. And a lot of cults will perhaps just stick with one thing in mind, either drugs or sex, or mm. perhaps sacrificing, but very few actually mingle the whole lot. Throughout the history of religions, ancient and modern, varying degrees of beliefs have existed in powers and principles that mediate between the realms of the sacred and the profane. These realms or worlds are commonly regarded as being inhabited by celestial and atmospheric beings, such as devils, demons, fairies and angels. One of the leading archdemons recognised by Islam, Judaism and Christianity is the menacing figure of Satan or Lucifer the fallen angel. In his efforts to prevent a relationship between humanity and the forces of good by provoking people to sin, Satan is traditionally considered by these three major world religions to represent the antithesis of the entire social and religious order. While there is little evidence to suggest that honouring Satan or practising Satanism ever established a mass following at any stage in history, what we do know is that demonology has steadily survived as an underground movement down through the ages. For instance, during certain periods in Christian Europe, the worship of demons and the practice of witchcraft brought the wrath of church and state on those suspected of practising diabolical rites. In the early 20th century, there was a revival of interest in Satanism, led by figures such as Aleister Crowley, who wished to explore the magical powers associated with the malevolent beings of the cosmos. Since its revival, Satanism seems to have diversified into a number of forms. Some have been harmless rituals linking contact with the devil to ancient pre-Christian and pagan ceremonies. This worship is a relatively respectable form of alternative religion or witchcraft compared with the Satanism of the Middle Ages. Another more sinister type of Satanism has remained hidden until recent times and what is now beginning to emerge is a horrific picture of ritual abuse, particularly of children and women, committed by the adherents of satanic cults. The atrocities carried out in the name of satanic worship are at last being spoken about publicly by the courageous victims of cult abuse who live in permanent fear of retribution and disbelief. This programme hears the story of two British women who were born into a highly active satanic cult family. For years their story remained buried in the recesses of memory as the reality of their home life had been blocked out as part of the body's mechanism for self-preservation. There was violence, there was physical, sexual and emotional abuse from then on. It never stopped. There were, t there were times actually when we seemed to be a normal, happy family. And certainly to outside purposes, we must have probably have seen that way, a very integrated family. But inside it was terrible, the, the hate they generated between themselves and that was generated between their offspring from them was pretty bad, yes. And what sort of physical abuse, um, you know, I mean, did it progress, did it become worse as you became older? It's, it took you all sorts, 
But I don't know whether it got worse. It just started off so worse, I'm not sure it could get worse. Um, it took in everything. It took in... Um, I put in things in our vagina, my vagina then. Um, I don't want to speak for anybody else, but certainly she used to run things in my vagina. I was thrown downstairs. You've had your own experiences on that sort of thing. And um, she would do anything. When I say throw downstairs, it wasn't just pushed down a flight of stairs, it was thrown over a whole load of stairs, and not just once. That She would do anything. She tried to drown me. Um, and Dad wasn't much better. If, he couldn't, if I wasn't cooperative during sex, then I was beaten black and blue, and he would try another way of sex as a punishment. I was badly damaged on my back, and I've still got some scars to prove that. Also, they set fire to my bedroom. <laughs> yeah, just something odd to do one night. That is one of the odd cases, actually, where Mum set fire to the bedroom and Dad actually rescued me. Yeah. Um, oh, why did she set fire to the bedroom? Just to do it, was yes. it? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Um, she had... She's got multiple personalities and she's had different... Uh, and this was one of her bad personalities, where it just came out, and this was what she wanted to do at that time. Yeah. I think it was my death, but I didn't. she didn't succeed. My dad actually rescued me from that. My first memory of my father raping me properly would be about two and a half, three. And that was involving another gentleman at the time. I knew what to expect, if that makes sense. So whether anything had happened before... You know, I can remember, like, trying to... My father trying to force his penis in my mouth and things like that. Yeah. Before yes, then. Yes, definitely. So I knew what to expect when this guy did it to me with him. It's just that at the same time, my dad decided he was going to take me from behind. So, yes, I was screaming. Yes, it was painful. Yeah. And, and you were two or three, I mean... Yeah. Um, but... About two and a half to three. Mm. I couldn't even remember, like, the, where it was and what it looked like and... Something else she'd, I, Did it happen in the house? In no, the it home? happened outside. In the outside in the open air. Yes, 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 yeah. Well, where did it happen? Can you describe it? I was actually abroad at the time, and it happened. We'd gone out for a ride in a jeep, and it, the jeep got stopped, and this happened. Yeah. Do you have uh, any other memories then of sexual abuse? Did it in terms of it escalating? Of, of it getting worse as you got older and developed more physically? It's not that it got worse. It's just they found new tap things to do. They found lots of little things to do, you know. There's a lot of satanic, uh, not satanic, uh, sadistic things that people don't think you can do. Uh, no, I mean... <laughs> they do. They think of everything and anything under the sun. As they recruit more members into the cult, so this new member thinks, that, hey, I've always wanted to do so-and-so. And they think, oh, we haven't tried that. We'll try that one now. And so they do it. I remember one particular thing, and I, I think now it's more of a blackmail thing to get people into the cult rather than... It wasn't cult itself. I think it was to blackmail them to get into the cult. I've always felt that these four guys, as they were, as prisoners of war, you know. That's how I somehow see them. They, were, they came back, maybe having suffered something through being a prisoner of war, they wanted to practice it. I don't know. How can you work somebody's mind out like that? But they were well into electricity. This was the electrical one. And so they think up something new, you see, and practice it. <laughs>
and somebody else. And these these were four men that that came in became involved and and they started to do things then as well. They contributed ideas or whatever. Yeah. Whatever. I don't know. I don't remember them after that within the cult practices, but they were certainly there at that time in sexual way. And what was this electrical torture or whatever it was? What was it? Well, ours is different, isn't it? Yes. Mine is I had electrical wires inserted onto personal parts of my body uh, and then electrical current passing through me. Oh, it was the same then, more or less. Yes. Yeah. I always thought we were different. Isn't that funny? Yeah, mine's... My, they were putting bits on my, my personal bits and then as the current was passed through and, uh, of course, your body jerks, moves around, they'd fall off, you see, these clips, whatever. So they they were thoroughly enjoying it. They were well carried away by this. This was great fun, wasn't it? So they'd stick it back on again. Of course, your body's jerking around all over the place. And they were trying to clip bits back on onto personal parts. It wasn't much fun. Was there a lot of people witnessing this? In my case, there was Dad watching, and he was smiling. He was so happy that they were pleased. And the four guys, they afterwards raped me, you know, but... Uh, there were four guys, that was all. But it's funny, I have four guys, but the guys do not... The, the gentlemen that we've discussed this are not the same, because I can remember one very clearly as being um, something like a Chinese, something like that. I'm not sure whether I'd done it, urinated while it was happening or straight after it happened, I'm not sure, but I know he raped me while I was laying there, you know, and, yeah. and he was the first guy to actually rape me, so that's why I remember him so clearly. My bars were at, on my nipples, yeah. clipped on. Mm -hmm. And I know at one stage, they, I, where I was jerking, they were ripping at my nipples. So, yeah, yeah. It, apart from all the other things you've got going on, it, it becomes a massive pain to the Too point much. where you just black out. In the case where we were rented out as prostitutes, a lot of that was done away from the home. A lot of the videos I had that were done of me, or home video, what they call it, they were done away from the home. But there again, I do have one in where it was done in the house. I think it was, if there wasn't a risk of one person just walking in the door and them doing a home video, that was OK. That was not putting too many people asking questions. It was just depending on what the risk was take, you know. Did that become a common thing for them to bring equipment along to photograph this for themselves or for other people? Yes, depending on what was... Again, it depends if it was for blackmailing reasons or whether it was to sell. In some I have... I know I was definitely used with animals. That would have been a great sellable item. And a child and animals. What sort of animals? Well, let's start with the minor ones first. Let's just start with dogs. Leave it at that. They made you have sex with dogs or whatever? Yes. And did that happen to you? Yes. You? Yeah. Yes. Have you particular memories of that? Yes. Very clear memories. Um, they just had no concern at all of how we were used, why we were used, or what happened to us. Yes, they'd quite happily use us with dogs if that made money, or prestige, or whatever else. It didn't matter to them. And did they film it or photograph it? I don't remember that so much. I don't remember that being filmed, to be honest with you. But then that might have been before the days of cine camera. I can't really remember. Yeah. And did, you know, did they, there again with the animals, did they take you outside the home environment to do that? Yes. We never had an animal 
uh, in the home yeah. that was used for that purpose. I, no, sorry, I have actually been used in the home with an animal. I have. But it wasn't ours. It wasn't our pet. What, somebody else's. What happened? Um, from recall, it was my mother who let the guy in. He had an Alsatian-type dog, and he used me with the Alsatian, and then you see... He had it there. It was extraordinary. He had a bag of the... I assume it's dog excrement, and that was plastered all over me afterward. And, of course, I got a thorough beating for being messy. <laughs> and uh, that was when Mother nearly drowned me, because uh, she was trying to clean me off. I tried to clean myself, but as a little child, you don't make a very good job of it with cold water in a sink. And so when she found me, she was furious. I was so dirty and smelly and really took the scrubbing brush to me really hard and was trying to scrub out the inside of my mouth, but in the end she held me under the water so long I passed out and, um, well, I think I was, I was just about a goner. I don't know how I lived through it. Mm. Afterwards, I remember her just standing there looking at me as if she didn't know who, where or what I was. Her face was totally blank, a totally blank face, nothing on it at all. And uh, she just looking at me. You just can't comprehend people like this. They're so, so many millions of miles away from what anybody hopes to have as a parent, what anybody hopes to be as a parent, that they're beyond comprehension. Their whole structure of life is beyond comprehension. So there's not really even any great hate because they're not human beings, not as we understand the term to be. There's something so bad about them. I can't really feel any great hatred for them just because of that. I think they can't be human. When you were going to... I presume you were going to school at this time. You, you were going to some yeah. sort of local yeah. school. Um, was, was there not any... Um, I mean, was there any relief there at all or did anybody notice that there was something wrong? I think possibly we've all had incidents... Um, of our peers recognising the fact we've got, uh, should we say, body odours we shouldn't have and being very rude about it. You know how children will. Um, I know I was called smelly bums. I mean, because we had a bath once a week and that was it. Um, and so I had a smelly bum. And, of course, the kids at school really take the mick out of you, don't they? Yeah. I know also a social worker did check me because of this, I presume. And I was asked if I was all right, if I'd been mistreated or anything. But my parents were stood right behind me. What do you say? You say, no, miss. Not me. No, miss. I'm all right. So you didn't have a chance to tell the social worker privately or anything? No, they didn't no. 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 Yeah. And, it... and I'm not even sure, because I was about five then, maybe six. I'm not even sure I would have done. We forgot it the next day. You had to forget in order to live. So I'm not even sure that I would have been aware of it enough to say. She'd have had to watch me and talk to me very carefully to have got all this out of me. That's for sure. The notorious black mass of the Middle Ages does apparently have its counterpart in modern satanic cult practices. Many survivors of cult abuse describe ritualistic elements of cults which perhaps reflect the worst excesses of human mental, sexual and physical abuse imaginable.
Seemingly Christian church buildings are sometimes appropriated by satanic cults for the purpose of ritual sacrifice. The ceremony will be accompanied by the trappings of candlelight chanting and incense. The objective is to invoke the powers of Satan by ceremonial sacrifice of either a human body or fetal matter. Young infants and aborted fetuses are used most frequently as it is possible for a cult to keep women in sexual slavery in order to bear the children to be used in the sacrifice. If I take the one case when I was about 13, 14, it was very early in the morning. I was taken to uh, a room where I had uh, my... I was pregnant. I was induced. The baby arrived... It was a girl. Dad then drove me home, back home. I went to the back door. Mum told me to go and sort myself out and get some sleep. Then about early evening, between six and seven, Dad told me and my sister to get dressed and get in the car. We both got in the back seat of the car. We were driven to a church and we went in in. There was quite a few people there already. I can't tell you what happened to my sister after this because uh, I was, because I assumed it was my baby, I was led up the front. And I was, there was like uh, where the pews come out. Is that the right word for pews? Pews? Yeah. Pews come out, I was tied like that, facing forward, so I could see what was happening there. There was a lot of, I suppose you call it, chanting and shouting. There was a gentleman to this side of me. Uh, who seemed to get very, shall we say, excited at all of this. Overzealous. Um, he had, I assume it's a whip-type thing in his hand because that's what he kept hitting me with. I was actually in a white gown, by the way, in this. I started off in a white gown. I didn't finish in a white gown, I just started. <laughs> um, Dad was at the top. On the, there was like a, 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 like a table-type thing with a, a cloth over it. Then there was a, like a big metal meat tray. You know the really big metal meat trays? Mm. Then there was a dish. And the baby was brought in in a, like a cloth. Like hessian type cloth. The baby was still alive. It was led in this, this dish type thing. And my dad killed the baby. How did he do that? He uh, slit it. That way. From... Um, throat to downwards. Uh, I, I actually was screaming and shouting at that point, which is the point that I got beaten. So I can't tell you what happened between that and the next bit, because I was being beaten. And bent over and the guy took me from behind that was hitting me. And that's when the gown came off and ripped. And it was after that I was beaten really badly. The, the rest of it carried on, as far as I know, like normal. This one guy seemed to have it in for me. 
I mean, uh, when they, the guy who was taking me from behind, when he started, I don't remember, I got a feeling it was my mum that cut the ropes from my wrist. Because I was made to turn around, kneel down, take this guy again. There was lots of things put on my, you know, but then we were covered in excrement, blood, urine, you name it, it's there. I can remember a tall, dark guy nodding to Dad. Why I remember that so clearly, I don't know. But I think it was more to do with what the guy was doing to me. Perhaps there was another thing going on, I don't know. That night I was beaten so bad that when it finished, I stood up, they made me stand up, they gave me the remains of the baby to in wrapped up to hold in my arms and took me out of the church. Now, I, I was weak. I really don't know how I survived it. My dad went out in front, a woman followed, and somebody else, and, my mum, and there's some people here. My mum put, pushed me forward with her, on my shoulder, pushed me forward to follow out. That night I laid in a grave with what was left of the baby's body. And then, and sort of early hours of the morning, well, it was light then, so I assume it was summer, because it was still very quiet when we got back in the car. They came, take, took me out of the grave, left the baby's body in the... In the grave? In the grave. And you had a, 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 a subsequent pregnancy? Yeah. What age was that at? About a year before that. At 12? Mm. Yeah. And and what had happened? Had there been a different... That was in, that was um, more of an abortion, not so much of an inducement, because I feel the baby was a lot, lot younger, and I don't feel it was alive or anything then. Whereas I knew this baby was. I could see this baby moving when my dad killed her. It was it had been crying up there. It was even moving when he split up. They even ate people while they were alive. Yes. Did they? Do you have a memory of that? Do you oh, remember? Yes. Can you describe it? Well, it's pretty horrific. Um, it's just this guy. He has his stomach cut open, and mother is. Eating his innards. That's the easiest way to describe it. And um, when she's had a had a good get, and she her face is bloody, everything. She's digging in with her face. You know, her face is going into the cut, and she's merrily scooping it all around with her hands. You know, um, she was passing out bits as she could tear them. Up. This guy was dying. He was alive, but he was dying. Um, she was pulling it out to give to other people, and I was supposed to eat my bit, and... Mm, really weird. Yeah. That... You found that... I found that incredibly difficult to handle, because she is so pleased at this. She is so delighted. There's a look on her face when she does this bit. I have her in one of mine. That I cannot describe to anyone. So many people have tried to give me a name for it, like moronic or whatever. It is not. I just cannot find the right word for it. It's something so total, absorbed in what they're doing and enjoying it. You cannot imagine it. Mm. I remember one incident. And uh, it was one time 
I got upset in a ritual. We didn't get upset. We were not allowed to get upset. It was very severe punishment indeed for showing any antagonism to what was going on. It was very severe punishment. But one time, we were, it was an outside ritual, and I actually went and left the circle. We were all in a circle, merrily chanting away. Don't ask me why I did it. I have no idea to this day. I went and jumped in the circle. What was even worse, I jumped on the baby that was in the centre of the circle. It was dead, but that's no help to the baby, you know. So I feel dreadful about doing that, but I was doing it because I was so angry. As a little kid, I was about six or seven, I think. I was just so angry, so upset they were using this kid to get the devil, you know. And something happened, but to this day I can't place it. I know I was beaten. But something else happened within that circle, and everybody became petrified. Everybody just went crazy. It was just like watching a horror movie. Everybody just went crazy. Not just their normal ritual crazy. This was craziness or mad, you know, it was... It was something else again. Whether they thought they had actually found a devil or what, I don't know. I really don't know. And do you know that your parents were... You say they, they were doing it for money sometimes because they were using you as prostitutes, all of you. They were making... I mean, did, did they work? Did they do anything apart from this cult business? Oh, yes, yes, they worked. But they had to look like this nice little family. We had to look to the outside world like a normal family. Because that's how they kept... That's how any of these cults keep their anonymity. Is that the right word? Yeah. yeah. Nearly. I can't. But that's how they keep it. So that, you know, there's no way they're taking risks, they're not blowing it. They're so well organised. So, yes, we look like a nice little family with lots of little girls playing in the garden. But, of course, underlining it, there was a lot more going on. That's right. But nobody else knew about the stuff that went on. I mean, I used to get taken for prostitution at nights... And to anybody else, it looked as though I was going out with my dad for a drive. Didn't matter that two or three hours later I'd come back and I'd probably been raped by five or six different guys for money, but that was them. And yet sometimes the neighbours must have heard us because when we were abused in the house, either physically or sexually, neighbours must have heard something. I can't believe they didn't wonder what went, go what went on. Perhaps that's why we moved so much. Yeah. I just can't believe nobody knew. Nobody guessed. And what the prostitution business then, um, what age did... Was that from a very young age as well? Yes. And this was... And was it done in the streets or was it always done in people's homes in a kind of very careful, controlled way? It was done in a controlled way. Definitely in a very careful, controlled way. But no, it wasn't the street. It, like I said, I would be driven to somebody's house or I'd be driven to um, a barrack room. It was controlled. They knew the people they were dealing with and they knew that they, the hold on them afterwards would be so that they couldn't say anything because, after all, I was a child. So it was done in a controlled way, but no... No, not streets or anything like that. I, no. wasn't, I mean, I, I, there was nothing to be done in the back, you know, raped in a garden or something, but it, it's a controlled garden where they knew nobody could see or... You were saying, you were saying earlier the, about the fact that some, they, they would recruit people who were somewhat vulnerable, like, well, you said vicars, for instance. You know, I mean, can you talk a little bit about that, about the kind of people they recruited and how they recruited them and how they kept them? Well, yes, yeah, so they would see somebody who was vulnerable who would maybe fancy having sex with a little girl. 
They'd figure out to themselves, what can we use this person for? Are we going to try and involve this person in our cult? Are we going to try and blackmail them for money? Are we going to try and blackmail them for some other purpose? Like a doctor is always useful to have around. Or a vicar is useful because he has a church. Um, I was quite often used with a vicar, plain and simply because that kept him quiet about his church being used for rituals. So they would recruit, not always directly into the cult, not necessarily to bring them into the cult, but... There's always an ulterior motive. There always this ulterior motive, yes. And they'd have this person lined up for some reason. If it's a doctor, you see, he's good for um, abortions when it comes time to have an abortion, or for getting fetuses or bodies or whatever else. Or for signing death certificates, of course, don't forget, too. They need death certificates signed at times. There's, people have so many uses. And the higher up the scale you go, the more important the person is, the more they use. So the more they're allowed to misuse us, if you like, in a way, so that the hold on them is even greater again. So they can't escape from the blackmail if they're being blackmailed. But they might enjoy it and they might not need to be blackmailed. How in, uh, involved or what sort of status did your parents have in the cult that they were... Did they own it, control it, what? Pa my pa Our parents <laughs> were high priest and priestess. They were as high as you could go. When I first started getting memories, it struck me how young they were, but of course I now realise, because it was into that they would have become high priest and priestess very young anyway. They had a very large hold. They also had a lot of very influential people underneath them. And because there were so many influential people underneath them, it made them, their power greater. And it made the cult so much bigger and so more widespread, much more dangerous, I suppose. Both women were well into their adult years before the realisation of the events of their childhood surfaced. What should have been their years of innocence had been stolen and replaced by a changeling childhood of torture and violence. Unblocking the memories of a traumatic past presented its own problems but was an essential milestone along the road to recovery. As the realisation of what had happened began to dawn, their initial reaction was confused disbelief, leading to a gradual and painful acceptance of their experience. You feel so many bad emotions that are inside your, your own body. But they were put there. They were put there by somebody else. Not, they're, they're not each person's own. They were driven in. And in our case, they were driven in by indoctrination. Complete, utter training to behave like this. Not for any other reason other than we obey their will at all times, at whatever cost to ourselves. And so when you come to, as an adult, and you start remembering all this garbage, and you try and deal with it, there's so much horrible feeling buried inside. There's so much pain and hurt and guilt. You don't know what you're doing with it. It's just going all over the place, and you don't know what the heck it is. And so you have to learn how to cope with it. But somebody on their own, I haven't got a clue what they'd do. Because I don't know what I'd have done without them. I'd have thought I was crazy. So it's funny, like, when you get um, a memory or flashback, or whatever you want to call it, and you start learning all these things, you... pain is a very difficult one to handle. Because you had the pain then, 
You're now having the pain again in your memory. It, you, can, you can dive into it. It's, 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 somebody once said to me, how do I know you're not fantasising? And I said, feel what I feel. The pain is so intent. It, it just, it's as if somebody's just opening you up and letting everything out. That is what somebody else would have to cope with on their own. And we ha were lucky enough not to have that. Even so, I still felt I was crazy. I still felt I was making it up. I still felt a load of guilt feelings about my dirty mind, that I was fantasising all this garbage. And that was with you lot. So how anybody would believe themselves, I just don't know. I, I don't know how they'd cope. It's a terrible burden to bear. As teenagers, none of the sisters were able to fully calculate the extent of psychological and physical damage done to them. Atrocity after atrocity was simply confined to the depths of memory as they tried to preserve their sanity and look to their own physical well-being. Although unable to articulate their feelings that something was fundamentally wrong with the world in which they lived, they somehow realised that the best possible strategy would be to leave the home environment. Well, there were five of us, so... Um, my el two elder sisters both got married from home. When it came to me, I, wasn't g I didn't get married. I just left. I went and worked abroad for a few months. And then you each in your turn got married, didn't you? I, yeah, I got married to get out. And uh, so did my younger sister get married to get out. Oh, she's very lucky. She's got a, a lovely relationship. Yes. She, she was lucky enough to marry someone that has been able to come to terms with what's happened to her and they've built up a really beautiful relationship. She's very lucky and one of my other sisters is very lucky on the same grounds that she was married a long time but in their case it no way inflicted on their relationship. He understood it was something that had happened to her as a child that she could not have altered and no, their relationship is beautiful and that's great. It must have been. It must be, and and particularly maybe when you were teenagers, it must have been very difficult to establish relationships with people, given the sort of environment that you were used to. You know, to have a boyfriend or just to have a friend, it must have been difficult. Oh, to have a friend was enormously difficult, because if, if we had girlfriends as youngsters living at home, if we brought them into their home, it was very very embarrassing. The our father's behaviour was so inappropriate. He would make innuendos, you know, suggest things to them. All sorts. It was terrible. It was it was impossible to imagine, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, both of you seem to have, um, like, you completely agree about the memory issue that uh, every day that something terrible happened, it was put away in your mind and forgotten about. And um, it was a long, long time, years later, that you even tried to jog your memory about it. Yes, but yeah. that's like I said to you. I think it's not you jog your memory. Your memory only gives it to you when you feel safe. Now, that safe can come in various forms, either in a relationship or your environment. It doesn't really matter how it comes. But your memory doesn't feel you're ready for it till that point. It's the same as your body. I mean, your memory's a brilliant piece of machinery. And your body's the same. And when they feel that you're ready and you can handle what it's going to tell you about yourself, that's when it starts. But not until that point, no. I, I mean, I've read books where people haven't remembered until they're 50, 60. And probably they didn't feel safe until that point. I don't know. But no, I put it down to when you feel safe in yourself. 
we heard, what, 16 years, say, of abuse, which all very carefully locked away in the safe. But one day the safe just can't hold it anymore. It just cannot stand the pressure. And so the lid starts to blow off it. And when this happens, I liken it to a suitcase, an old suitcase, and you bunk everything in, all the bad memories go in the suitcase. But it gets, through the years, it's got old and battered about. It can't hold it anymore. So a little memory starts popping out. And you think, oh, oh dear, where did that come from? But then the whole suitcase starts spilling out, you know, the class no longer hold. And it just comes out. I find, when I look back on memories, that nearly was something bad that happened. That decision was made, it was going to happen. And then it was rationalised by the perpetrator afterwards as saying, well, that child needed to die because... or that person needed to be raped because... You know, they make the decision first. They want to do it, so they go and do it. Then they might try and find a reason for doing it. So it's an excuse to be evil? Mm, just plain and simply. That's what occultists, yeah. An excuse to be evil? Mm.